0: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brainy. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving <laughs> forward from this point on, I will not make reference to the PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? You got legal
1: on this? I yeah, like the ball like football season, all the things that go with it.
0: Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. It is our midweek Wednesday show live here on YouTube. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We don't have a set time for this thing. We just go.
1: It's it's because of the interviews. We do have a set time for it. It's just that every time we get an interview, it changes the schedule, essentially. yeah. So just be ready. Wednesday afternoons, just be ready on YouTube. We'll try and get it to you 1230 every week. We will fail most of the time because yeah, a lot of people we get for interviews don't fit into that. Schedule. Can
0: we put? Let's get a new graphic with a range. It'll be between twelve thirty and two, probably Eastern Time. Uh, but we got Mike Cliss from uh, Broncos Beat Reporter, Nine News. Uh, Mike's going to break down the Broncos Colts game. For us
1: yeah give us a little insight into uh, Russell Wilson Nathaniel Hackett the whole uh, drama I guess that's been going on in Denver since they both arrived I suppose yeah so we'll throw to that at the end
0: we've got uh, we'll talk a little Monday night football and answer
1: your mail people have been re- requesting slash demanding Monday night football analysis we did yeah. that last year we haven't been doing it so far this year back by popular demand I believe is the term
0: yeah we get some hate mail every now and again the two things I think we get the most. Nobody wants to hear you talk about rugby. I mean, we just always get that pushback. Nobody wants to hear rugby. I don't think that's true. And uh, the second one is people were upset. We didn't review Monday Night Football. Mm. So uh, do you want to do that first? Yeah. So let's do that. It's on the schedule. Let's do that first. Monday Night Football, San Francisco 49ers, 24, the Rams 9. We had our instant reaction on the PFF NFL Daily, which, by the way, we have not been checking things. We have not been checking that everyone that listens to this podcast also listens and subscribes, downloads, likes, likes, the daily we haven't been checking so please do that go check out the pff nfl daily it's like you know bite size sam and steve but 49ers 24 rams 9 we did do our instant reactions what were your thoughts what were your instant reactions for uh, for this podcast
1: well we're not gonna do instant reactions You're two days later yeah several reactions. days later um obviously the 49ers defense looks phenomenal we had a big long email from somebody called tony gazetta that was essentially asking about the 49ers elite defense. I know you've got some thoughts there generally, but that defense looked incredible. Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa now leads the league in pressures and wasn't that close before that game. He had 14 pressures in that game. Um, I don't know how many edge rushers have more than 14 pressures, but it can't be that many for the entire season. Uh, 14
0: pressures would tie for 18th.
1: So 14 is the same number as Aiden Hutchinson, Gregory Rousseau, uh, Shaquille Barrett, Von Miller. uh I became... Yeah, so it's pretty impressive, and he's got that in one game. Yeah, Bosa now, as you mentioned, leading the league with
0: 30, and uh, the Niners, just they got playmakers at every level. Uh, Tolanoa, Hufanga, the safety, makes another incredible play, reading a screen for a pick six. You got Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw in the middle. You got Nick Bosa, and that entire defensive line has been pretty solid. I mean there was there was remember 2019 the rams when they had jared goff were going up against the niners that was the year the niners went to the super bowl and that defensive front was so good and the rams had a game against the niners where i i I swear they they threw only screens it was it was Goff's it was Goff's rams so before they just threw screens it felt like the rams got to that point the other night where it's like we can't protect We've got no shot, screen, game, or bust. That's all we have.
1: And then on the flip side, it felt like the 49ers are doing that as well, except the difference is they have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Every time they threw a screen, they were busting through three tackles and scoring. You yeah. know? like I, we Debo said, is so good, man. Yeah, we were talking about before the game, is there anything to this hex that the 49ers have had over the Rams in games while Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have been the head coach? And I was kind of like, nah, I don't think there is. I think the, the, the real win, you know, last year got the monkey off their back, and it's it's probably not a thing. But I do think they match up well. Like, we are seeing they are unusually adept at being able to target their weaknesses. And then right now, what the other thing we're seeing is I think both teams are— so the 49ers look like they have a defense that's back to when they were a Super Bowl contender. And then the flip side of that is the Rams' offensive line looks to be— the opposite of when they're Super Bowl contenders. I, we talked about this before, and I've made this point a lot, but I've never bothered checking it with the numbers. Um, that it feels to me like Sean McVay's offense goes as the offensive line goes. You know, when they have a bad offensive line, they're an okay team. They're a nine and seven type of team, or nine and eight, whatever it is now. Um, but when they have a really good offensive line, they're a genuine Super Bowl contender, and that's regardless of whether it's Stafford or Goff. And Ben Baldwin, you know, one of the... I was,
0: yeah, I want to highlight that graphic.
1: Yeah, well, I gave it to Tyler. says Tyler should be able to throw it up on the screen, screen at some point. i prepare. Um, too prepared. But he put up a graphic that essentially illustrates exactly what I'm talking about, which is when the Rams have a really good offensive line, so season-long pass-blocking grade by PFF. When they were elite, we've got last year's Rams, and we've got Jared Goff Super Bowl Rams. When they're in the middle, you know, they're, they're not quite as good. And then they've got two years where the offensive line has been struggling, and that's this year, and that's 2019 Jared Goff. In 2019 Jared Goff, the Rams finished 9-7, and seven, and that was the year where they really weren't a contender at any point. So it really does track that, like, when that team, when that offensive line is great, this is a Super Bowl-caliber offense. When it isn't, when it's bad, it, they're just not in contention. And right now, that's what it looks like.
0: Yeah, shout-out to Ben Baldwin for this graphic. You know, I, I don't know, you know, with the forecast... Losing Eric, maybe maybe he's going to jump to our podcast now. Ben, listening to us, he's always shouting out the forecast. That is a great graphic to show, though, and for perspective. I just like that somebody you know used somebody
1: did the work that I wasn't willing to
0: do. Yes, effectively. That we're looking at Rams quarterback, and again, EPA is a. I think it's a close, not completely team driven, but it's driven by more team centric type of stuff. EPA is an offensive production output type of stat, and we're seeing the offensive output. Really good in those two Super Bowl seasons. But for perspective, in 2019, the season we're comparing this year to. 2019, that was the worst year under McVay. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the Rams were 29th in pass blocking grade where uh, Rob uh, Havenstein just lost it, right? He was hurt and was not good and everybody else was banged up and they just weren't good. Um, This year, the Rams have the lowest pass blocking grade in the NFL right now. So if we're talking about they're going to be a bottom five pass blocking unit, then it could be trouble for the Rams going forward.
1: Yeah. and, and So you, Niners
0: are great. Rams are terrible. And you saw in that game the away. impact no, that not.
1: it has. Like, it isn't just the sort of foundation of everything, which it is. But when they know it's bad, the ways they try and fix it makes everything worse. Yeah. So... It all becomes quick, instant screens. It it shortens, it sort of reduces the playbook. It truncates it all. They try and shrink it down so they're not exposing the offensive line to as many yeah, problems. You, you can
0: see the play calling certainly adjusting to, the, yeah. to that weakness. And yep. that,
1: that has, I think, almost, it's it might not have the opposite effect, but it certainly doesn't have the effect they want it to have, which is, you know, trying to fix those problems. At minimum, it doesn't help. And I think, actually, there's a chance that it makes the problem worse. So along the lines of, uh,
0: I, I have to stay consistent here. I don't want to overreact negatively toward the Rams because through four weeks they've played the juggernaut Buffalo Bills and they played their arch nemesis, the 49ers, who have beaten them almost every time and very close to beating them even in the playoffs last year. So even even though the Rams are two and two and there are there's a leaky offensive line and there are concerns, they're still the Rams. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner are there. Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford are there. The Rams are still going to be good. But there are some concerns with the Niners. The people that hyped up this defense before the season, mostly 49ers fans, may have been right. They mm-hmm. have a lot of the pieces to uh, to look really good right now.
1: So there we go. That's Monday Night Football done. That's our end of the bargain held up. And I now think that other people should hold up their end of the bargain by hitting like because we have a lot of people watching right now and only 11 of them hit the, hit the like button. And one of them was me. And so man. that's this is not an acceptable level. Look We've done you. Monday Night Football now. We have listened to the people now hit the like button Segway master yeah
0: hit the uh, hit the like button we'll get into the rest of the show but first a reminder that even though best ball mania has ended underdog fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their pick them game just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats pick whether they'll end up with a higher or lower total than the number in this week's game that's it you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night love this concept underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps. That's a huge part of all this stuff. With so many places popping up, simple, easy to use. Mm -hmm. All you do is pick between two and five players for your pick-em entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app, sign up with the promo code PFF, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. Shout out to Josh Norris, actor extraordinaire he was saying you know some people only think josh norris is uh an underdog fantasy actor now yeah it's like they don't even realize he's a you know fantasy football guru and what draft like, guru uh, and podcaster and former scout it's like what's the who what's well, like people only think george foreman you know runs a, <laughs> runs a grill when he was actually you know a bit of a boxer before that that's josh norris's no, life right now he's just the, an actor
1: I, I i can't even remember the Person who was always on TV last year, and then it turned out she was a real person that worked at that company, and just happens to all the hats. That's right. We I, were forget her name and winner, I forget her name. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Yeah. Other than that, I know exactly what I'm referencing. Yeah,
0: those were DraftKings, though. We're talking about yeah. right now. That was uh,
1: what was her name? I don't remember. I don't remember. You what were as it.
0: fascinated with her as you are with billionaires.
1: Well, I was just fascinated that she exists. Like Josh Norris. She's just a real person that works at the company that just decided, "I'm getting the yeah, TV gig." He's the guy. You guys take a seat. I got this. Well, that's how Jake from State Farm uh, State Farm started. Yeah, yeah. He's just a guy on the telephone, and then he decided,
0: "You know what? I'm going to do the ads." I mean, it was a real State Farm guy, and then they they replaced him with a different Jake, with an actor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: thought he was doing a good job, Jake. <laughs> like.
0: You think Josh Norris is going to re- get replaced by an actor sometime?
1: Maybe. I'm I just saying. Maybe once to gets big enough. Head
0: on a swivel, Josh. Head on a swivel. All right, let's go. Um, we've got some emails. Are we going to the emails?
1: Uh, yeah. So we, we had one that I think is an interesting uh, topic to talk about. A guy called Austin Putz emailed us in. I've checked. That is how you pronounce it. Putz. He yeah. specified. It's like J.J. Putz. Sure. Former closer. Seattle Mariners. Yeah. 6'6",
0: 250. exactly who I thought of. Strapping young man.
1: Um... He brings up an interesting point, which is, you know, we we talk a lot about how, you know, how hard can it be, Steve for GM, all the ways that general managers, personnel people should be doing better, essentially, you know, should be making fewer of the obvious mistakes, should be making more of the easy wins, picking up the low-hanging fruit, all this kind of thing. And Austin was was essentially asking, do we overlook or dismiss the human element to all of this? which is a real thing and, and why I think that the job is not you know, as easy as it looks from your, the comfort of your armchair. Everybody you're dealing with is a real human being, most of whom you're going to have interactions with on a fairly regular basis, and it isn't easy as much as, how, as, much as everybody talks about the NFL as a business and everybody understands that, it still isn't easy to tell people, you know, see ya, or you're not getting your money. Oh, or, yeah. I- you know you're having whatever anything negative that they don't want to hear is not an easy thing and then on the flip side of that I think it's very easy to fall into the kind of Jerry Jones traps of I love this guy we're going to make sure he's okay you know we're going to give him his deal we're going to give him his money we're going to pay him the contract that might not be advisable and that's how you end up with Zeke Elliott contract and those kinds of things so you know effectively the question was do we too easily dismiss the human element of all this Yes,
0: we absolutely do. Admittedly,
1: okay. I've said this before.
0: <laughs> absolutely, we do.
1: You know, look, there—all the crap you give me about the the fields thing and the quarterbacks—that's right. And now you're saying, actually, yeah, yeah, okay.
0: I know that I, I'm self-aware. I know that I dismiss it. All right, it's not that it doesn't exist. There are certain times I would. There are certain times I would you, think. I think it matters. Other times I don't. I mean, there. So there are. I can understand where coaches or general managers would want to bring back players who are culture fits for them, Mm -hmm. right? Because you and I, we're in a business. PFF's a business, right? We deal with other employees, with bosses, right? And whatever. And we know that stuff matters, right? I mean, the the people who have done the best at PFF and worked their way up the ladder are the, the people that have worked hard and been just really good company fits. And other people weren't great company fits and they weren't, not everybody but you you, there are good fits and there are bad fits um and and so you can't just hire people based off of resume right and absolutely we do a lot of that right um but I think you just have to find out where that balance is um so do you take you know a a running back who is a great culture fit and you love him and do, do you break the rules so to speak because he's a great guy and he's a good locker room guy and you want to do well by him and you know his family do you make that decision to re-sign a running back when you know the, da- the data says no? I, I I don't think you can make every decision, w- you know, without considering the human element to it. But you you still have to I think you still have to lean on, you know, the data and the numbers and all that stuff. The other part of Austin's question though was like, it's not about each individual decision; it's the residual effect of things, right? If you only draft players, use them for four years, and never re-sign them or whatever or if you never go sign free agents or if you have this trend or you always just you know run running backs into the ground and trash them it's going to affect the other things that you want to do free agency and you know how you or agents and whatever it might be so that part of it is real and the only and and so the part that we ignore here we're also less privy to Yeah. Right, which is the agent dynamics and all that stuff, because that stuff certainly exists.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of sides to it, I think, that have varying levels of importance. Um, I think you definitely should be aware of when your feelings to individual players are going to warp your perception of what you should do from the financial or business or football point of view, and that's how you get trapped in those Ezekiel Elliott contracts or those kinds of things. And ultimately, see... The reason that that I don't think you should let that stuff matter that much is that everybody does kind of understand that this is a business. Like, you hear that all the time from players. Like, very rarely are you going to have a situation where you say, you give them an honest reason or an honest sort of thing and say, look, hey, this is the money we think you're worth or that we're prepared to offer or or whatever it is, and we're going to go in a different direction. Sorry, you know? it's not like that's usually going to go down kind of okay with players. They're not going to agree with you, but they understand it's a business and they're going to move on. Um, So from that point of view, I think all you really need to do as a GM or as the personnel guy is don't be an asshole, like be reasonable, be human, you know, bring the human element to this, which is as long as you treat people like adults, as long as you give them the information and you are relatively honest and pleasant about it, then I think you're going to be okay. And there's a great story about this that I think is applicable. Um, Friend of the show, Paul Daynert had a, a podcast where he had Andrew Whitworth and Willie Anderson on, and it was before Willie got inducted into whatever that, the Bengals... Ring of Honor honor or whatever their equivalent is. Whatever Chris is in. Yeah, he was being inducted into that on Thursday night last week. Um, So he was on this podcast with Whitworth, and they were talking about all kinds of stuff and blah, blah. blah. And at one point, they were talking about how each one of them left the Bengals because two of the greatest players the Bengals have ever had. Uh, Willie Anderson ends up playing for Baltimore at the tail end of his career uh, after the Bengals let him go. And, of course, Whitworth ends up going to the Rams, having a few seasons there where he's a great player. And Whitworth's story about how he left Cincinnati was fascinating because, remember, they kind of decided at one point they were going to move on from him anyway, and they drafted two tackles one year, you know? So immediately it's like, okay, I can see the writing on the wall here. I understand the way this is going. And then Whitworth goes out there and has another great season. The two tackles both look bad. And all of a sudden it's like, Okay, hey Andrew, you know, I know we were thinking about moving on from you, but would you really, you know, how about resigning? And so they they set it up again. They start going, and Whitworth is back to being the cornerstone at left tackle, and blah blah blah. And then, then it ends up being, you know, they they kind of mess. There was crosswires or disagreements. They messed around for long enough that Whitworth decided he was going to test free agency. You know, and when he tested free agency. He said that all of the other offers, and I think he said there were like half a dozen other teams, all of the other offers were not even in the same vicinity as Cincinnati. Like, they were double the money. There were more years, more guaranteed years on the contract. There were all these kinds of things. Um, but he'd been in Cincinnati for his entire career. You know, his family has roots here. He They liked it here. And when they sort of sat down and thought about it, he was like, you know what, I, I still think I'm just going to stay. Like, it's just... It's just not worth it to uproot and move, even for the more money, I'm, I don't, whatever. Like I don't need the money. I'm okay. And then he said the thing that actually made up his mind to go the other way was the tone from each team. So every other team he was talking to, they were like, it would just be an honor, you know, to have you in the building, the things that you bring, what you've done in the league. You're just an incredible player. Would be, You know, please take this offer type of thing. It would mean everything to this franchise. And the Bengals were kind of like, I mean, here's the offer, take it or leave it, you know? It's, it's okay with us, like yeah. whatever. They they just didn't – they weren't, for one of their greatest ever players, they weren't even willing or didn't consider or didn't think that it was worth doing to just – even if you're faking it, to just make the guy feel wanted. He was like, if they had said the same things, you know, even yeah. if they'd been like, we're going to offer you half the money for a uh, for shorter length of time – that's all we can do, but we'd love it if you stayed. You know, you, you're one of the greatest players this franchise has ever seen. We, we don't want to lose you, but unfortunately, the financial situation is this. He would have stayed. He would have stayed in Cincinnati for a fraction of the money, but simply not doing that meant that one of their best players ever walked out of the door and then had another couple of great seasons for a different team. That's like that is where the human element is human also element. important, which yeah. is like just be nice to people. Like, people react incredibly well if you're nice to them. It's not that hard. You know what I mean?
0: The other aspect of general manager, uh, the the job itself. Remember I, uh, when you were gone, I interviewed Rick Spielman mm-hmm. on the podcast here, and we talked about, you know, we only discuss the personnel parts of a GM. He should draft this guy and sign that one, and how do the pieces fit, and we try to fill this depth chart. And he's going into the the things that he needs to deal with or handle as the general manager all the way down to when vikings.com was putting out practice you know cut-ups or whatever making sure there wasn't anything in there that was you know giving away any secrets now that could be overkill mm. but I'm just saying those are the types of things like the general manager has sight over a lot of things How do, how do they handle they have to handle all the personal aspects of the of the players when players have off-field issues or questions or they're going through something or whatever it is like that kind of falls on the general manager and their team not just them but the team and the support staff that they bring in and all that stuff so there's yeah there's a there's a big element to it there's also the gm there's a human element to just how you treat your scouts so here's my um yeah football does this too but i talked you know i talked to a baseball gm before or an assistant gm the baseball draft that i never got drafted in was 50 rounds right (laughs) and you have scouts all over the country so when you have that many draft picks to burn you don't burn them on me no apparently not but they would you know they would talk to the scouts from all the regions and be like give me a player right so they're going through the draft they're not necessarily just like putting this draft board together of like three thousand players and it's all in order and you're taking the top guy on the board they're grabbing a guy from the northeast and a guy from the midwest and and it's to like make the scouts happy right so the general like the the team is literally making decisions to make the scouts feel like they did work right and there's that element too we've seen chris ballard with the colts on draft night they you know they put all this they have all the scouts in the room right the scout i mean they're not making decisions or anything on draft night but they've they've been a part of this draft process from start to finish and they're in the room on draft night while chris ballard and his team are you know wheeling and dealing making moves and they're you know so there's that element too where it's making the rest of the organization feel like they're a part of the entire process so there's a lot that goes into being a gm hashtag how hard could it be Mm -hmm. the afc
1: south so yeah we diminish we diminish that but i think as with everything else in the nfl you know 32 teams 32 different levels of competency across the board in every area And i think the human element and how personnel people and coaches deal with the human element i would imagine has a massively wide spectrum in the nfl you know there are going to be guys these are sort of i think typically the guys that are termed you know players coaches or whatever but even beyond that just understanding that you can't treat everybody in the locker room with a one-size-fits-all approach there are going to be different personalities different ways of getting the best out of other people Well you can't just this is how i treat people this is how it's going to work I would imagine the, the level of understanding from coaches and GMs about that human element varies wildly in the NFL. And I suspect a lot of the people that don't do tremendously well is in part because they're not good at that
0: part. I, I would also say, not saying Whitworth in particular, I would also say be careful when you hear one side of the story because players always, not Whitworth again, but players always feel like they got slighted. That is... sure that is so if you hear one-sided stories from oh this guy didn't treat me well or this guy like you're gonna hear that every the best GMs the most personable people was like Le'Veon Bell like hates uh Andy Reid everyone else loves Andy Reid Le'Veon Bell thinks Andy Mm. Reid's the worst right it's like because your experience personally at the end of your career when you didn't have much to offer the Chiefs wasn't good yeah right so just be careful with that type of stuff no House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for the shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every single day. You can also test your skills versus the house. Multiply that entry by 20. 20x your entry. That's right, if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player prop, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB. That's not a baseball mention. That doesn't count. PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now. Use the promo code PFFNFL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the app stores to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it's not just how you play, but also where you play you check it out right there on the screen no house advantage all right do we have another email here is that the uh rescuing the one in three teams yeah that
1: wasn't an email that's just uh it's just part of the show yeah yeah
0: random emailer emailed in and said how do you rescue the one in three teams i'm glad you asked there you go appreciate everybody's emails
1: yeah we're gonna look at the teams that so far have kind of i thought i thought everybody was uh one and not everybody most people but uh, teams with one or fewer wins right now, Indianapolis, one, two, and one Washington, one and three. The rest of these are one and three Pittsburgh, Las Vegas, the saints, the Patriots, the lions, the Panthers, and then the dismal zero three and one Houston Texans. So we're
0: going to go through each team
1: and rescue them. I don't know. They're not each team, but you know, one, my initial question to you is of those teams, which ones of them aren't dead and buried already? For this year i would say the
0: saints one in three saints and the one in three raiders, the raiders. and then the, the one in three Steelers might already be saved kenny pickett put bump kenny get the kenny save. pickett bump bump
1: hmm. looking good i mean adding a spark looking pretty good i wouldn't i'm not sure I'd go that far you know
0: I know, but he looked good in the preseason. By the way, and,
1: and carry, you know, Trubisky broke Mike Tomlin's streak of always having a winning record with whatever quarterback was back there. Oh, really? Yeah. Tomlin has never had a quarterback I mean, he that had come back, a losing record in his starts. I mean, he needs to come back to get the winning record back. Yeah, I Just understand. to stop that. Understood. It was disappointing, I think. What was the score when uh, Trubisky left? You want to give him the partial win for that?
0: I'm just saying, if, if you are going to track quarterback wins as a stat Mm -hmm. you need to use the same intelligence that the other sport that does it does which is it's not just did you start the game it's what was the score when you left so how
1: did they what does that count as if you were ahead no decision a no decision yeah
0: like kenny pickett came in and got the loss. Yeah,
1: so it's an incomplete he doesn't get a pass or a fail on this he's just we don't know because we call it a no decision in the other sport yeah no decision yeah well yeah so it just it just doesn't count
0: so if you leave with the lead, then you have to pitch five innings. Oh, shoot. You have to have some sort of minimum playing time requirement. So uh-huh. say a half, right? Say you, you play a half. If you leave with the lead like Trubisky did, if you win the game, you get the win. If you keep that same lead. As soon as you lose the lead, the decision switches to the backup. Huh. And that's how you attract track that. Now, where it could be tricky in football versus the other sport that I won't mention is once you leave... As a hurler of the object in the other sport, you're out for the game. You can't come back in. Hmm. Whereas in football, of course, you could switch a quarterback every play if you wanted. So it could make it tricky in tracking this whole thing. Yeah. But technically it should be Kenny Pickett's zero and one and Trubisky ends one and two. The on the other end, it's like week one, Trey Lance gets hurt. I don't even know what the score was, but even if they were winning, it was so early in the game, Jimmy Garoppolo came in and earned the the win in relief. So Jimmy Garoppolo should get the win. But the way they track stats, Trey Lance is 1-1 one one this year. He won the game. He got, he was the starting quarterback in a win yeah, for mean, the 49ers in Week 2. It seems reasonable. This is advanced analytics here.
1: It seems reasonable and... and- fairly obvious that if you come off the bench in a situation where your team is not winning and they win the game you deserve a win yeah baker mayfield week three the The other way feels more tricky because i don't know that you can say well you left with a lead and they won therefore you get a win but like what if the defense became the 85 bears the second you left the field Uh, you can't play the what if game because you you have to play the what if game you can't it's it's otherwise you got to be like no you left the field you just don't get you get nothing you I mean, don't get a win because you didn't stay there the whole
0: game. You can't play the what if game because that it's it's the same thing as like, well, you know, you threw for three touchdowns and no picks and you lost because your defense was trash. Therefore, you you don't deserve the loss? No. You just that, you just different. set rules. You put rule, knowing it's an imperfect stat,
1: you just set rules in place. That's very different to you left the field of play and somebody else was there for the next two quarters.
0: But again, that's how the other sport does it. I the, the the I'm first just... hurler comes in, and if he if he leaves with a five run lead, and the you yeah. know the the player the hurlers after him,
1: I'm simply lose suggesting it. that maybe that's an inadequate system
0: for this. Yeah, not every stat's perfect. I'm just saying,
1: Trubisky was one and two.
0: That's all I'm saying. Okay. He's not
1: one and three. He anyway, was one. And are 2 Are you suggesting the Pittsburgh are not dead and buried? I don't know.
0: Okay, I think Pickett could give him a little spark. <laughs> I'm curious about that offense because you know when I'm you, we're trying to explain Trubisky throw for throw wasn't horrible this season mm-hmm. i don't think the offense created or he didn't choose high value throws so again on sunday one of the best throws of the week trubisky threw to the back of you know the end zone deontay johnson didn't get his feet in it would have been one of the best throws it was one of the best throws of the week should have been a touchdown some of his best throws trubisky were like low percentage and fell incomplete but they were really good throws and he didn't put the ball in harm's way a lot until sunday trubisky throw for throw wasn't bad but there was no value in his throws so what i'm curious about now we have an offensive system that we've seen ben roethlisberger and now trubisky kind of play the same way quick hitting short average depth of target not using the middle of the field not getting guys not creating value in the pass game if kenny pickett all of a sudden unlocks valuable throws in Matt Canada's system, that didn't exist before, then like that's a serious win for Kenny Pickett and his projections. If the offense looks very much the same, then the offensive system is isn't. I question. mean, I think
1: I think what we're seeing is that he's obviously going to do that. I mean, even the dynamic of hey, those interceptions were or were not his fault in in his in the first game. Um, forget the Hail Mary because that's it's a Hail Mary, right? But the other two, technically, they're not turnover worthy plays they're not good decisions either you know like one of them was one of them yeah it was
0: like a jump ball basically at a clay pool with
1: yeah two defenders in the air right but it shows you like that's a pass that Trubisky probably doesn't attempt you know so it shows you that Kenny Pickett is going to take some shots if it's that uh that Trubisky won't and that changes the offense the other one is like a poster child for there's a reason you don't throw late to the flat you know because this kind of thing can happen um But it's unlucky that it ended up intercepted as opposed to just incomplete. The point being, though, like he's going to play in a different style. I think for this thought exercise, you need to factor in what the rest of the division looks like. And Pittsburgh might not be dead and buried if for no other reason than they're currently only a game out of first place. Yeah, there's that too. The Browns, Ravens, and Bengals are all two and two. So it wouldn't take much for Pittsburgh to overhaul that. And particularly if they're able to you know, steal a couple of wins within the division, which are always tough. Remember, they're at some point going to get T.J. Watt back as well, who appears to have a completely transformative effect on that defense. Above and beyond right. simply adding one of the best players in the league to it, he transforms what that defense is capable of. So getting him back would be a big thing for them.
0: The problem with the Steelers is they got to play the rest of the AFC North, all tough games. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I'm saying it's likely. I'm just saying as long as that division sort of stumbles its way through to mediocre records they have a shot the same logic i think holds for the colts which is jacksonville are two and two and you know they're better than we thought they are but they're probably not going to run away with the division the titans are now two and two again like they don't look great um as long as i mean i think the colts are in trouble but it's going to take quite a lot to be completely out of contention within that division for a while um the patriots i think have the reverse problem they actually might be able to win some games but Miami looks really good. Buffalo is arguably the best team in the NFL. They're both 3 and 1 already. It's going to be difficult for the Patriots to have any shot within that division.
0: I I would say I would say the Patriots have a shot to bounce back if we knew Mac Jones was playing. We don't. But we even know then, when he's I
1: back. mean, I think they can bounce back, but I don't think they can I, I don't. I don't see any way they could overhaul. Buffalo no, we're talking and
0: Miami. Are we talking playoff runs here? I mean, I, I think the Raiders are going to play better, yeah, but I mean, they're one and three. They're they're playing the Chiefs question next essentially Monday. Is, they're can, probably going to be one and four pretty soon. Yeah.
1: The question essentially is, can you make the playoffs from this point? I would say no for New England. I would say the Colts maybe, Pittsburgh maybe, Washington no, uh, the Raiders. I guess the potential is there for that to be much better than it's been, but. They need to get themselves together pretty quickly. The Saints, yeah, I could see that happening. um The Lions, no. The Panthers, hell no. And the Texans, <laughs> same. Yeah,
0: yeah. So uh, the the Raiders, I think, are going to play better, but I just, I don't even know if it's going to show up in the record because they still they got the Chiefs twice, and they've got the Chargers again, and you know they got the Forty Niners and the Rams, and it, it's a tough. It's a tough run, man, for the Raiders. But I think they'll play better. Like Derek Carr will play better. You know what I mean? Like that's a part of this whole thing is if you have a quarterback like a car who's played at a certain level and he's playing well below that level, we have a lot of evidence that he's a better quarterback than that. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's weird, man. It for whatever reason, all of our offseason narrative stuff, it it is true as true as true can be that AJ Brown and Tyree Hill have transformed the Eagles and Dolphins offenses yep right they are top four in epa per play both of those offenses and it didn't It hasn't worked for the raiders with Devontae adams yet so it, it's it there's not an excuse for Derek carr to be playing the i mean this is the worst football he's played grading wise since probably his rookie year yeah if, if it, it held but but i think he'll be better i think he'll be better i just don't know if it'll show up on the record okay and saints will bounce back all I right think they've got the pieces well you just you're perpetual buyer of james winston stock at all times or andy dalton, or andy dalton. i'll even buy dalton buy a red rate. rifle stock i'm buying the uh the situation in new orleans all right wait have you got an ad read yeah i do okay i'm gonna do it right i'm gonna tell people that the pff nfl podcast is sponsored by western and southern financial group while you focus on your roster moves western and southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow western and southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at
1: westernsouthern.com/pfs. I'm done. Nice. Um, it is time for our weekly segment that we've added this year. Explain the grade. Tyler's going to work on a little, uh, little quick sound intro to that. I was going to you know, say little, it felt like segue. we needed one. Yeah, yeah. yeah it felt like one, one
0: was due there.
1: Uh huh. It's, it's in the more. It's in the works. It's not there yet, but it's going to be at some point. We are next week.
0: What are we scratching the surface of professionalism?
1: Absolutely. As always. So remember, if you want to hear us explain, justify, whatever, a grade that comes out in a given week, hit us an email, Podcast at pff.com, um, and we will go some way towards explaining some of them. So somebody uh, messaged us on Twitter asking, let me find this guy's name, asking to explain the difference, essentially, or explain the, the grades for the Jets' offensive tackles this past week. So remember... Um, Elijah Vera Tucker, their guard, ends up kicking out to left tackle where he played in college, um, and playing the entire game. Connor McDermott came in when Max Max Mitchell Mitchell I can't remember the guy's second name. Where Max Mitchell went down and played the majority of the game at right tackle. Uh, the Jets fans are pretty big mad that that Connor uh, McDermott graded better now. First point is so we've got a sixty-one point eight grade for McDermott, a fifty-six point five grade for Elijah Vera Tucker.
0: Okay, so the difference. First off, the difference in a sixty-one and a fifty-six is like a play, yeah, or two. I mean, it's it's minimal in a in a game setting, in a small sample size setting. Uh, Vera Tucker played played well overall, pass protection wise. Um, if the question is... Tommy
1: Stocks, by the way, was the okay. guy who asked this mean, on Twitter. I mean,
0: Tommy and other Jets fans are probably watching this, but like, I didn't hear Tucker's name, right? Well, like, yeah, and the other therefore, thing Therefore, he was probably fine. Yes.
1: Uh, Seth Walder from ESPN, right, um, said... They, they had a tweet that Elijah Vertucker recorded a 93% pass block win rate at tackle yesterday, 18th of 62 qualifiers of the position in week four thus far. So that was a big thing, apparently, that was doing the rounds on Jets Twitter or Reddit or whatever. So I'm guessing... So ESPN's
0: pass block win rate is based off of next gen, next gen stats. Uh-huh. It's it's done algorithmically algorithmically. Whoa, I've never I haven't said that word out. Well, you still haven't said it right. I lied. It's done by an algorithm. Yeah, algorithmically. Uh, I yeah. See I missed here. the ickly. Yeah. Yikes! Don't try stuff. I mean that's slash shellcode. Mm. So it's done by an algorithm. <laughs> I'm guessing that the pass block win rate did not catch a blown gap protection when he's supposed yeah. to be working to Cameron Hayward and he's working to the backer instead. I'm right. guessing they
1: didn't catch that. I mean... And we did. Yes. There, so... Elijah Farrakhan. A couple of points I would make. Number one, it's basically the same grade in pass protection for both guys, yes. right? There was two pressures for Connor McDermott. Um, he had a penalty on a pass play as well. It was a holding play, but it wasn't... So we separate out holding calls in particular... From pass blocking losses essentially, where you try and mitigate the disaster by tackling the dude, that's a pass blocking grade. You know? Or plays that are essentially discipline holding calls where you remember, you know, it's a pass play, you're blocking a guy, the quarterback breaks contain and you just don't let go early enough. You know? Those are different plays for us and they go in different places for the grade. So McDermott had a, a holding call where he gets hold of a linebacker, I think, at the second level plays busting out behind him linebackers trying to get over to it he doesn't let him go quickly enough. now a it was pretty weak but b it won't go in his pass protection grade sure so it doesn't it doesn't act as like another pressure so two pressures for him uh, elijah ver tucker had three in more snaps and his losses were uglier so it ends up in about the same place so the real difference between the two is the run game and it's the negative plays for both mcdermott had one negative um Okay, the negative was bad, and it was a mental mistake. Same idea as the Vera Tucker thing, where he, he took the inside guy. When everybody's shifting to the right, he takes the inside guy, leaves a completely free runner to come in and banjacks the run play. The guard looks to the guy he's supposed to be blocking. McDermott's already there, and he's like, what? what, what? And then by the time he looks outside, to the guy McDermott should be blocking. Play's already dead. So mental mistake for McDermott. That's his one downgrade in the run game, essentially. Uh, Vera Tucker has four downgrades uh, one of them he gets completely matadored by Cameron Hayward you know just a full like way with the the red yeah. flag thing and he's face first in the ground Hayward's making the play um, and there were a few other losses in there but that's the big difference is we are talking about so the split it's 66 in the run game and 69 as a pass blocker for McDermott it's 47 in the run game versus 66. For Tucker as a pass blocking so the pass blocking is about the same the run blocking is a big difference between the two uh well said I think it was well said and then the other thing is I think a lot of this is built off our prior our priors both these guys we know generally that Elijah Vera Tucker is a better player than Connor McDermott yep but that's not what we're judging when we're grading them in this particular game we're saying how well did these two players play on their individual snaps throughout the entirety of this game it's we're, not saying which guy is better
0: we're also not we're not in a grade capturing the fact that vera tucker has been a guard since joining since, since being in the nfl sure. that he played uh but he's played both guard spots moved this year and in a pinch has now moved to left tackle where he played his last year in college mm-hmm. we're like we're not we're not at this was kind of like the andrus pete discussion a couple years ago where his, his grades were always poor but people wanted to give him credit, and I, you know, there's a human element to this. We talked about earlier. It's difficult to play guard and then tackle in and then back yeah, to guard. And all. It's judged, a difficult thing.
1: He's being judged against other tackles, not against guards kicking out to play tackle. Like he's not being graded yes. on that curve. Right.
0: So we're not adjusting for that in the grade, but well, we can it, adjust for that mentally and say it's a pretty good game yeah. by Vera Tucker in a in a pinch having to move to left tackle and playing a position he hadn't played in two years. And
1: I think a big, like, if you went into this game, if you just gave a random Jets fan the tape and said, you know nothing about these two tackles, you know, go out go through the plays, plot it out yourself, and say who played better or worse. And they probably end up saying, you know, they play broadly similar, which is true. The grades are not dramatically different at all. The grades are very close together. Um, It's, I think, a large part of it is the prior, like, your priors on each guy will determine what you think about how that game went. That's it. Yeah. Well, the second one is second one's Jared Goff. Jared Goff. Jared Goff. I tweeted, I told you this, and then I tweeted it, and the tweet did quite well. A lot of people like this tweet. Um, Jared Goff has now been involved in three of the 20 highest scoring games in NFL history. That's unbelievable. Isn't it? Yeah. One, one of two quarterbacks for whom that is true. Drew Brees is the other one. Patrick Mahomes has only been in one of them, I think. It was against the, Goff. The one against Goff. Yep. Um, Kurt Warner has been in two. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has been in one. There's a bunch of other quarterbacks that have been in one. But Jared Goff and Drew Brees are the only two quarterbacks that have been involved in three of the top 20 highest scoring games in NFL history.
0: And, and I know in at least two of them, I don't, so I know the Goff game was against Mahomes Monday yep. Night Football in Mexico. The crazy there was, yeah, the, Rams the, Chiefs back and forth yes. madness. There was Rams Bucks yep. in 18 or 19, Jameis. Um, against Jameis. I know in that, I'm pretty sure in that game, Goff contri- contributed a pick six as he did this weekend as well. So he contributed a little bit to, mm-hmm. uh, to the scoring negatively.
1: Yeah, so the, the, the box score part of this week, which is the third of the highest scoring games in NFL history, um, thirty nine, uh, sorry, 26 of 39 for 378 yards, four touchdowns and an interception, 9.7 yards per attempt. Uh, pretty pretty so, crazy numbers. So let's start with this. But uh, a PFF grade is 74. PFF
0: grade is 74, which is good. That's a good game grade. Um, The statistical difference is going to start with three turnover-worthy plays for Goff. Yes. The one turnover-worthy play that did become an interception was a pick six um, and was probably as poor as it gets from a grading standpoint. Left it behind, Tariq Woolen, who did make an awesome play on it. So that was a bad—so that's going to get a pretty harsh grade. So the three turnover-worthy plays, only one showed up in the interception column. The other thing was 378 passing yards. Of those, we have an 81-yard shallow cross to TJ Hawkinson and another short pass to Hawkinson that added up to over 100 yards on basically expected throws, right? Jared Goff hits this underneath completion. On the one, Hawkinson just goes beast mode, runs through the entire defense for 81 yards. Those are all Jared Goff's stats. Um, So I only do this for perspective. I only do it for, for perspective, right, which is, if you just remove, say, 78 yards, right? Let's say Hawkinson accounted for 78. So Goff, you change Goff's stat line, completions attempts are the same, chop off 78 yards. So now he's only thrown for 300 yards. And this is not... Still has four touchdowns, still has an interception, just to paint a picture. The passer rating, what was his actual passer rating? 121.5. So, like, it drops to 113, which is still very good. I'm just saying, like, that's the the effect of... You immediately take eight points off it. Right, and Um, so that's the, the effect of two plays they were hawkinson driven
1: and the other thing is yeah it's those plays are are not sometimes you see you make this argument and people will say well it was an accurate throw it led him to yards after the catch all those kinds of things which are, those are valid points on occasions you know there are throws where quarterbacks they're relatively expected but the throw location is good it does generate yards after the catch and seeing that throw and hitting it is important but these were throws certainly the big one uh, it's like it's supposed to get six yards, and then Hawkinson yeah. goes nuts on the defense, busts through a bunch of tackles, and we go and you're... we go from six to like seventy something.
0: You're, you're right. So the the answer we always get is you. Why would you? Why would you downgrade the quarterback for doing his job? And it's like no, we're just all we're saying is he did his job. He threw a complete pass to an open receiver, but the result was uneven with the contribution from the quarterback. Yeah. That's all it is. And all we're trying to do is continue not... to capture the contribution from the quarterback, separate it from the contribution of others, which doesn't which includes the receiver and the defense.
1: Yeah. Right? It doesn't downgrade him. The point is simply if that the the exact same throw would usually lead to like six yards. If he made that throw, it was six yards and then Hawkinson gets tackled by the first guy that arrives, how much would you expect Goff to get a positive grade for that? Because that's the grade he should get The fact that Hawkinson then goes crazy and busts through tackles and runs for another 60 yards should not affect Jared Goff's grade, which is the point, right? That's where we differ from any other statistical measure, essentially, that is looking at outcomes, which is everything else, EPA per play, QBR, whatever you want to do. They're all looking at that, and they will all be skewed by those yards after that after contact after the catch from hawkinson
0: so on the, the 81 yarder the the other advanced metrics epa will not will, will give all that credit to Goff, just mm-hmm. epa in a vacuum um, qbr espn's qbr will not because they focus more on the air yard component to epa so that won't be captured in their metric and then our metric is essentially going to call that you know expected and um have far, less credit even less credit probably than than qbr would because the result is very much Hawkinson passer rating yards per attempt all of that get captured in that stat that is
1: mostly Hawkinson and the, on the 81 yarder so that kind of explains Goff's grade for that game I think you can make a very similar argument for Goff's grade overall in the season you know the the Detroit offense is putting up insane point totals week after week Jared Goff's numbers are pretty spectacular he's got 11 touchdowns three picks he's got a passer rating of 99.9 for the season Almost 1,200 yards already, 7.5 yards per attempt, et cetera, et cetera. But as he had one big time throw and three turnover worthy plays in this game, his season total is four big time throws, which is a rate of 2.5 percent, which is lower than Tua last year. You know the the sort of league bottom level of big time throw rate is where Goff is at right now through four weeks, and he has eight turnover worthy plays through four weeks, three of which came in the last game. So generally. This offense is not a product of Goff playing his best football. Go, you know, much like happened at times with the Rams, Goff's good enough to steer the thing and to not run it into a brick wall if everything's functioning. But he's not—he's not the engine behind this.
0: Yeah. And all that said, I mean, that was that was his best game grade of the year. That yeah. was, you know, it was. Is overall best statistical uh, game, I think, you know, the Washington game is
1: up there as well, but yeah, that was... But it was, doesn't match, you know, a uh, passer rating of 121.5, four touchdowns, one pick, you know, almost 400 yards, 9.7 yards per attempt, et cetera. Like, it's it's a good grade, not a spectacular grade, which is what that box score suggests. Good work. Yeah. Nailed it. Explained. Done. Replay the little ditty that doesn't exist yet. Would we have an outro? I don't know. Song, too? Maybe. transition to the all to be determined yeah we'll
0: see see what Tyler comes up with
1: Mm -hmm. we have anything else today no I think now we're into uh, into our interview All right, that's a
0: great Wednesday show thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in so we're gonna we're gonna throw it to the interview Mm -hmm. and then the show's gonna end we're just gonna I'm not you know we're going to, this is our, this is our goodbye last week. We just ended it on the interview. Yeah. So we're going to do that right now. Thanks to everybody for
1: tuning in. We're just going to prepare people for the fact that yeah, we're Yeah. In the yeah it's
0: going to end after the yeah. Mike Kliss interview. So we're yeah. previewing Thursday night football here with Mike Kliss. He's going to get a pick from, uh, for the Broncos and the Colts. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you uh, Thursday tomorrow as we preview the rest of the week five NFL action. Let's go to Mike. All right. We're happy to be joined by Mike Kliss, Broncos reporter for nine news and 104.3. The fan Mike, welcome in.
2: Hey, thanks for having me guys.
0: Yeah. appreciate you doing it. We get the Thursday night football game, Denver Broncos and Indianapolis Colts. So definitely want to start out by just discussing a lot of drama and news and just it's the Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett and Russell Wilson. What is, what's it been like over there so far this year? And what are your initial impressions of that combo head coach and quarterback so far?
2: Yeah. Drama has, is a good word because there has been a lot of it, you know, uh, Russell Wilson uh, with the opener at Seattle, there was a lot going on there. Why did he leave? Who wanted him out? Did he want to stay? Uh, Those kind of things. And then uh, Nathaniel Hackett, uh, you know, the whole thing about hiring him was it for Aaron Rodgers? And and Russell Wilson was plan B. The Broncos, of course, uh, say that's not, that wasn't the case. But uh, Nathaniel Hackett uh, then ran into a buzzsaw as far as, uh, you know, the national firestorm with the way he handled the end of the game in Seattle. And then there were some more game management missteps in game two against Houston. And then he brings in Jerry Rossberg uh, out of retirement from the Ravens to uh, help him with game management and, and give uh, Hackett credit for not being a stubborn coach who, uh, you know, doesn't admit to having game management uh, issues. Uh, He realized he had a problem. He was hurting the team. He brought in Rossburg and really there hasn't been any game management issues. They lost a couple of challenges in the first game where they were so close that you had to challenge them, even if you lost them. And then uh, this last game, I thought they should have taken a timeout with 247 left to go in the game. They let it wind down to 207. But then Jacob scored anyway, so it was almost mute or moot. Um, so I, um, but, but that's a lot better. The operations with Russell getting the playoff is a lot better. Russell Wilson played really well this past game. Uh, there were some hiccups in the third quarter. I don't know if his uh, shoulder was part of the reason in the play calling, which seemed to get a little conservative in the third quarter. But um, uh, he played well, though, uh, in the first half and in the fourth quarter. And so um, they got that going for him. The running game is a concern going forward without Javonte Williams and with Melvin Gordon, the guy replacing him, having fumbleitis, and then the run defense um, disappeared against the Raiders. Josh Jacobs, uh, you know, to me, uh, he's Terrell Davis uh, 1998. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many hundred yard game. I don't think he gets many hundred yard games, but he, but he constantly gets them against the Broncos. And uh, the last two games in a row at Vegas, uh, you know, he just steamrolled the uh, the clock uh, and piled up the yardage. So uh, we don't know quite yet what this team is about. They're two and two. They should win Thursday against the Colts. Um, I go back to Manning in 2012 when they started off two and three, and uh, he was throwing some interceptions, and they were down 24 to nothing at halftime in Game Six at the Chargers they came back and won that game 35-24 and then they uh, didn't didn't lose the rest of the regular season so it's still way too early to to uh, determine what this team is but um you know there's there's been growing pains uh between hackett you know with wilson it looks like that's getting better as the season goes on but they still got a long way to go
1: yeah, it hasn't felt good for the first four weeks. But when you look big picture, they're 2-2. Two and two. They're only a game behind the Chiefs in that division. Like, everything is still absolutely to play for in terms of preseason expectations. Um, it feels like the, the kind of Russell Wilson narrative stuff um, kind of snuck up on me in terms of I, everyone knew he was a bit of a, a kind of corny character and, you know, did some weird things, but then I think in, was it Mike Sandoz column in the athletic, somebody made reference to him being a bit of a diva and, you know, at his own office in the facility and that kind of thing. What are, what what have your impressions been of Russell Wilson as like the first sort of time dealing with him day in, day out?
2: Well, um, and you're cutting out a little bit on me there, um, Sam, but, um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, my connection here on my front porch or what it is, but, uh, uh, as far as Russell Wilson, it's been pretty much uh, just the uh, press conferences. He's not much for talking um, one-on-one, which, uh, you know, I'd like to break him in that way. <laughs> you know, those, uh, those uh, Friday conversations, in this case, uh, it would have been Tuesday conversations at the locker just to uh, shoot the bull and, and, and talk off the record and get to know the guy. We really haven't had that. You know it's different. He's so big, um, in many ways with Sierra, you know, and he's got his own uh, team around him. You know, he's got physical trainers that are a practice. He's got his own quarterback coach. Uh, they're good people, uh, like him. Um, but it's it's just different. You know, the the the, the quarterback is is now so humongous. It's, uh, the quarterback's always been important, but now uh, you you have to adjust to the fact that. Uh, they're almost bigger than the team. They've, they've got their own empire going here. And uh, so that's been that's been a little different. Um, I know Russ uh, is very positive with his teammates. He never has a bad word to say about a teammate, never has a bad word to say about a coach. Uh, he is a leader on that team. Um, how relatable he is with the guys, um, you know, I don't know. You know Peyton Manning and John and John Elway were one of the guys. You know, especially Elway, uh, when he was a quarterback, he was a he was a, a guy's guy. Um, you, you know, Russell takes the approach of being uh, he, he takes more of the political uh, view uh, where he where he stands on the pulpit and and uh, you know addresses the the rally is kind of how uh, Russell uh, handles everything, but. But I think all in all, guys, Russell Wilson is the least of the Broncos' problems. He's a, he's a positive. The question now is, is how good is this team around him? They weren't a winning team before he got here. And they haven't been a winning team for five or six years. And can Russell Wilson by himself uh, lift the team to the playoffs and, and have a 10-7, and 11-6 record? That remains to be seen. They're better because of him, but... Um, I still not quite sure how good the team is overall
0: well that was gonna be my next question too I mean like what are like what are realistic explanation ex, uh expectations for this team the defense looked so good through three weeks they got run over last weekend as you said Randy Randy Gregory is leading the team in pressures he's hurt now it, what are your expectations going forward what is this what can this team accomplish this year
2: well, after the Raider game, I was telling guys, uh, changed my ten and sevens to nine and eights, and uh, and and because I thought they'd be six and two. If you look at their schedule, guys, uh, they got to make hot, uh, hay going into uh, going into the bye, which is after London against Jacksonville. Which, oh, by the way, isn't isn't the uh, layup that it looked like in the in the preseason. Yeah. Um, I thought they'd be three and one at this point with a loss against Las Vegas. Uh, they're two and two because uh, they lost the game they should have won, in my opinion, uh, at Seattle. They were the better team. Um, they were in position to win. They just didn't finish well. So they let that one get away. Um, you know, right now, um, one step at a time, they got to beat the Colts. If they beat the Colts, they're three and two. They got 11 days off going into a Charger team that always seems to be banged up. The Broncos, traditionally, the one. They struggle against the Raiders. They've lost five in a row against them. Seven of the last eight. Derek Carr to me is a top three quarterback. I know. I know he's top a top what? twelve. Oh, because that's what everybody
0: you, else. Because that's what you see. I got it. I got it.
2: Because that's yeah, that's what I see. He plays so well against the Broncos, um, and, and uh, you know, and then uh, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. They're, they're they're they've lost thirteen in a row against the Chiefs going back to Peyton Manning's last game, that basically it was a game that sent him into retirement. He, he hung out and, and finished the year and had that big push in the postseason and they won the Super Bowl. But the Chiefs, you know, that was the game where you knew Peyton Manning was was done. Four interceptions, five out of 20, 33 yards. Uh, you know, that was like, oh, boy, Peyton. Um, looks like the end is near. And it was. Um, but that's how long it's been since the Broncos uh, beat the Chiefs and you know Patrick Mahomes is what 25 26 not 35 36 so <laughs> it, it, it's that's that's a daunting uh, future Broncos Chiefs so um, I, I we don't know yet uh, about the team but i i do think uh, right now as as they sit at 2 and 2 expectations should be managed to uh, they're gonna things are gonna have to go their way to finish ten and seven and eke into the uh, wild card.
1: So let's talk about that Colts game. Um, the Colts' offense generally has been pretty rough. The offensive line hasn't been good. Matt Ryan doesn't even look like an upgrade right now. Um, yeah. And Denver's defense looks really good. How do you think that game is going to go?
2: Well, Leonard's not going to play. That'll help uh, the Broncos' offense. And I don't think Jonathan Taylor's going to play. Um, which should help, uh, you know, the Denver defense. However, sometimes when when you have a big running back like that, and um, you know, I I anticipate that it may help out Matt Ryan in the passing game. He's going to have to do more uh, and and open up the passing game against the Colts and um, the Broncos without Justin Simmons at on the back end and without Gregory now on the edge. I think are a little vulnerable and uh, against the past so you know I've that Ryan has looked good the the two times that I have seen him Uh, once was in 2016 here and the other time uh, 2020 in Atlanta you know I know he's he's looking he's looking older um, you know this year than he than he has and I think part of that from what I see you look at all the quarterbacks with new systems They're struggling. Derek Carr was struggling until last week um, with Josh McDaniels. uh, Baker Mayfield struggling mightily in Carolina. New system. Um, You know, uh, Tom Brady struggled for 12 games with Tampa Bay before they finally uh, redid the playbook and and brought in the New England playbook in uh, 2020 from what Peyton was saying. So, um, you know, I think that's really what it is with Matt Ryan. You know he's a he's an old horse trying to learn a new trick here, and um, you know I think eventually he's going to play better this year. The question is whether will he do it Thursday without Jonathan Taylor, who again I I know they're making it a question mark, but I can't see him playing you know with that a high ankle sprain on a short week. The
1: uh, the pass rush is is an interesting thing for Denver because Gregory was phenomenal. Um, last year when they traded Von Miller away, they were struggling yeah. to get pressure with anybody. But all of a sudden, there's like a stable of pretty good young pass rushers. Um, who do you think is going to step up with Gregory now on the shelf for a few weeks?
2: Yeah, with Gre- it's not only Gregory down, but uh, Aaron Patrick was their fifth outside linebacker. He's got a concussion. He's going to be down. Uh, Jonathan Cooper had been the fourth or fifth uh, uh, edge rusher. He's been down with a hamstring. So they're going to, I do believe they'll call up Jonathan Kongbo from the practice squad. Um, he was a Canadian football league player with Winnipeg. I played two seasons there, got two Grey cup uh, rings or whatever it is they give him up there. Yeah. And then, um, so he'll be, but he'll be making his NFL debut if they call him up as anticipated. Baron Browning had been the third guy, the first rotational guy. He's been playing about 40% of the snaps. So you know he goes in and starts, and he probably gets seventy-five percent of the snaps. Nick Benito, a second-round, uh, a second-round pick uh, with a lot of speed, a lot of pass-rush ability. He's barely played. He was inactive, uh, or he didn't dress the first two, or dressed one game but didn't play. Didn't dress a second game. Has played about nine snaps each the last two games, and uh, I think they just worry. They want him to get in the weight room. Um, they're worried about him setting the edge, you know, on, on the run, that he's not quite strong enough on the edge. So I think you might see uh, Baron Browning, and it'll be interesting to see if it's Congo or uh, Nick Benito as the number four outside linebacker um, with, with, with Chubb on the other end, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. We were big Nick Benito fans, but certainly acknowledge he might not be ready in the run game. We'd love to see him a little bit more as a designated pass rusher, though, especially with Gregory out. So, uh, Mike, we're asking all of our guests on our Wednesday show to make a prediction, if that's okay with you. Denver favored by three. Can we get a score prediction out of you for this game?
2: Yeah, I think the Broncos will win. Um, I see that uh, Thursday night games generally uh, hit the under. So, what is the what is the over and under on this one?
0: It's got to be uh, 40, low. The, two of the three lowest scoring teams in the NFL so far. Yeah. Broncos and Colts. I
2: thought I saw the over and under and at like 45. I I might be a little high on forty two and a half 42 that.
1: and a half right now.
2: It, it okay. And uh but I got the Broncos winning by 10. Wow. Uh 27-17, tw- something maybe maybe 24-17. Uh oh, Broncos got to win this game though. I, it's not a must win. Um just based on my experience with Peyton Manning in 2012, when they went to two and three, but uh, I think it's it. I think they probably need yeah, to man. win if uh, if they're going to you know put some wins in the bank before they hit that real schedule gauntlet on the after the bye in the second half.
0: So there we go, big game for Denver. Mike Kliss, Broncos reporter for Nine News 104.3 The Fan. Mike, thanks for joining us today, Ben. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoyed it. All right, Five,